This is Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. Hello and welcome to Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. I'm Madeleine Vaughan. And I'm Jules Ironside. This week, it's complicated. Relationship highs and lows in speculative fiction. Okay, so a little bit of background about where this where this episode has come from. Uh, this is one that I kind of approached Jules about, though I think there was something ruminating in your mind regarding the subject, Jules. It was one of those ones where you said it, and I'm like, yes, we do. We we can definitely talk about that. There's definitely enough to cover there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and essentially, actually, this is again one that's definitely been ruminating in the back of my mind. Um, but it was brought on by the fact that I have been watching My Hero Academia. Yeah. And it is, I think it's the king of complicated relationships and complicated relationships which a lot of people don't necessarily get on with. Um, there's a lot of controversy for instance for those who've watched the anime who feel like and i'm not going to go into too much detail because we'll talk about it more later on in the episode but just to give context um one of the characters endeavor very very bad father incredibly abusive to his children um uh in some cases physically abusive to his youngest son um within the kind of the context of he's trying to train his younger son yeah. Um, and he basically drove his his wife crazy um, and was abusive towards her. You hear him smacking her. So um, definitely a bad, bad father. 100% a bad father. And he's not... Ha- it's not quite a redemption arc, but you we're starting to see a little bit mo- more from his point of view. And a lot of people found... Didn't like that because they didn't like the fact that he was being given this redemption arc. And... I've always felt watching it that it's not actually meant to be a redemption arc. It's meant to be actually a very realistic portrayal of difficult and turbulent relationships because it's not that he's been forgiven um, and it's not that he's been excused for his behaviour, but he's a complicated character. Um, And I kind of wanted to explore that because I feel like um, a lot of people equate characters being kind of explored or having complicated relationships being presented with it be supposedly being a negative uh you know a a poor portrayal um or it's meant to be a bad message for example and i don't think that's fair i think there are definitely examples where you will get an abusive or a a bad relationship being romanticized or being put forward as meant to be positive and healthy and that I object to. I object to the idea of something very unhealthy um, being presented like it's not unhealthy but I do not object to unhealthy or complicated relationships being exposed as being complicated and and perhaps even unhealthy. but that even if the characters still love or care for each other, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's being put forward as the ideal kind of relationship. It's just a reflection of what reality actually is like. And I kind of wanted to explore that, because it's quite a fine line 
between idealizing something and romanticizing something and portraying something truthful yeah definitely um so you know most people understand what we mean when we say the word relationship but just to clarify we're talking about romantic relationships yes but we also mean friendships parent-child relationships interfamilial dynamics and sibling relationships for, for instance so this is in any instance where you can have two characters who form a connection and when we're talking complications rub up against each other in the wrong way <laughs> yeah absolutely um and i think that that's the other thing is that obviously in the past we have talked about uh romantic and abusive relationships and we've we've had episodes where we've kind of really got in, gone into depth about that and the way that they're presented so while we may touch on that a little bit this episode that's not what we're going to be concentrating on um we are we are very much trying to look at the sort of the more complicated kind of relationships and again not necessarily healthy uh, but complicated um and sometimes with potentially abusive elements but we're we're gonna sort of try and steer towards material that we haven't really covered in depth um and we are especially going to be looking at all of those kinds of relationships not just romantic between a couple or between a a group of people but within families within friendship groups etc definitely so in terms of complications and what is there to talk about, well, all relationships are complicated to a greater or lesser degree. Mm. Um, any interaction that involves two separate individuals with their own agendas, their own wants and likes and dislikes, um, is going to have friction because, you know, <laughs> they're two different people mm. and you're not always going to be stepping in tandem with each other. Um, the complication comes in when those individual aims diverge. So the greater the divergence between what two people want, Mm -hmm. the more complicated the relationship becomes. Um, That sounds like a very obvious thing to say, but I don't think people necessarily think of it in those terms because we're all very much fixed in our own skin and our own viewpoint. So if we're talking in real life, it would be a case of, well, what I wanted wasn't unreasonable. It wasn't unreasonable to you, but do you know exactly what was going on in the other person's head kind of thing? Yeah. And it's it's the same when characters are portrayed that way in fiction. Yeah, and I think the problem is that usually in fiction we get to see one person's perspective in all of this. We're following one person's perspective, which means that the other characters' actions can feel quite unreasonable Um unless you make an active decision to really see things from their point of view. Um, and th- that, that's, the, that's the same with reality, is that we can only see things from our own point of view. <laughs> um, and particularly in fiction, when because of the way that plots work, there's usually some kind of trauma involved both members are going to be going through their own, you know, of this relationship, are going to be going through their own kind of traumas. And these are going to be traumas which are going to go all the way back to childhood, childhood influences, childhood traumas, childhood, you know, upbringings. Good example is Harry and Ron. Sometimes Harry got a little bit frustrated with Ron, uh, particularly the, the way that Ron reacted around money and food. Um, now Harry, um, did, you know, absolutely was kind of starved by, um, 
the Dursleys and he was treated very badly and he didn't have very much of his own but he was still brought up within a uh, within a family dynamic which had plenty as it were whereas Ron of course has from childhood has this kind of this this life of literally seeing his parents scrape of kind of being given this idea of the of the real value of money which means that when he finds out that you know he thought that he'd paid Harry back for something um, and then he found out that he didn't he's really upset by that and Harry isn't and he, Harry kind of finds it annoying that Ron keeps going on about it um, because he's not necessarily seeing things from Ron's perspective on how how Ron feels about that and he kind of belittles it a little bit whereas if we had read it entirely from Ron's perspective from the start of the story um, Harry's sort of glib attitude towards money would have actually felt a little bit offensive in some respects yeah maybe although I have to say I think it's in Harry's case it's more he understands that Ron doesn't have very much and it's kind Mm. of like well you're a friend I don't begrudge you anything I think you'd do the same for me and Ron probably would in the same perspective, the same. I mean, I don't think he quite understands the sensitivity about it. But then you could say the same with Ron, where Ron's always been surrounded by family. And even though he's had struggled to sort of make himself an individual in that dynamic, hmm. Harry's never really had an actual family yeah. until he goes off to Hogwarts. So Yeah, absolutely. And again, this is not me saying that one is in the wrong and one is in the right. I'm saying this is just the fact that they're different, they're different upbringings will have changed their attitude toward each other's lives, as it were, yeah. and the way that they, they interact with things. And the reason why Ron gets so upset and gets visibly kind of angry and annoyed by it makes sense for his circumstances. And the reason why Harry also gets annoyed makes sense for his circumstances. So, um, yeah, ultimately, this is the, the big problem when it comes to fiction, is that we are ten- we tend to be limited by one perspective, though sometimes we can sort of see multiple perspectives on, on the situation, which kind of brings things to light. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's all about complicated relationships. That's the same in reality. Um, there is going to be lots of different things happening. <laughs> basically, when you're writing character interactions, you don't have to have someone who is the bad guy. Yeah. Because both characters can hold contradictory... And, you know, this is true in real life. Two people can hold contradictory viewpoints and still both be right, or at least neither of them be wrong. And this is something that we've definitely lost. There yeah. seems to be very much a, if you're not with me, you're against me attitude, particularly if you spend any time on Twitter. Um... <laughs> Or, you know, any sort of social media like that. And the thing is, it's not true, unfortunately. It's absolutely not true. Something terrible can happen, and yet it can still be, in terms of those sort of terrible things happening, the best year so far for those terrible things not happening. Yeah. Statistically, the numbers are not lying. It's just that this very particular terrible thing happened and drew your attention. So, And it is is the same with character interaction. Both people can be right and equally wrong at the same time. No one has to be the bad guy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I think there's... This is actually one of the main things that I really, as I said, I want to talk about, is the way that we vilify um, the other perspective. Um, Okay, so I'm just going to go... I say I'm going to go personal now. Um, 
I'm just going to talk about Brexit very quickly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so Brexit, um, anyone who knows me will know my stance on Brexit. I'm completely against it. I think it's terrible. Um, I It literally breaks my heart, the whole thing. Um, but I do know of some people who voted for it. And the fact of the matter is that it's very easy to sort of look at the collective and say, well, the people who voted for it are stupid. The people who voted for it are, um, are racist. The people who voted for it, etc. Um, but the people I know, I can understand why they personally voted for it. I don't agree with them, not in the least. And, you know, like, I, I would still debate them and argue against them absolutely 100% but I can understand from their perspective why they made that choice from their own life experience um, which I would argue they were basing it because their experience they were told it was because of the EU and it wasn't because of the EU but that's all they knew that's the information that they had that's the way that they felt um, they thought that they were genuinely going to be solving an issue that they had by voting for Brexit. Um, they genuinely believed that. And it, it doesn't come from a place of hatred, it comes from a place of, of perspective of the way that they were raised, which was very different to the way that I was raised. And I was raised in a very privileged way. Um, so... Uh, I was unprivileged because I, I spent a lot of my life not living in the United Kingdom, seeing different perspectives, etc. So I can understand it. I still hate it. I absolutely hate it. But I can't just turn around and 100% vilify those who who voted differently to me, even if I I fundamentally feel that they were wrong and that they've done something bad it's it's not fair of me to turn around and say well you only did that because you were stupid because that's not the case they did that because of their own experiences and that's all that we can expect any single person to do um and well you know before we move off the topic of politics um but yeah something that certainly the left could do with taking on board is the fact that telling people they're stupid is not the way to actually get them to come around to your viewpoint some of these people voted in ignorance and that's not the same as stupidity because ignorance can always be relieved yeah. and yes there was information out there and perhaps they didn't know where to look for it so the best way to interact with them is to treat them like they're people who just don't know something you know yeah and, and not in a dickish sort of patronizing way because unfortunately this is something that the left does do um, yeah. collectively we and i am as guilty of it as everybody else because i think if i know something then everyone must know it <laughs> and occasionally come across a bit patronizing and i don't mean to um but there are other people on the left who absolutely come across as patronizing simply because they are you know they don't feel it's their job to try and share information yeah. and you know if you want people to embrace your viewpoint and engage with you then you have to take the time it doesn't matter what thing it is that that is your pet project at the time it doesn't matter if we're talking about women's rights or trans rights or you know you know black lives matter or anything like that if you're saying it's not my job to educate you then fine but you're passing the problem off and you do not get to then complain when people don't understand you because you won't take the time to help 
Yeah, I mean, and this is different. I should say this is different from when someone is approaching you in an in an in a an offensive way. So I don't mean offensive as in they're just being rude. I mean offensive. They're coming at you because they don't actually want to learn. They don't actually want to. They're trying to rile you up. They're trying to attack you. Um, I can totally understand turning around saying, no, I don't have to deal with you being an asshole to me. It's not my yeah, responsibility absolutely. to to educate you, particularly because you don't actually want to be educated. That That's a different thing. What we're, and, and again, this is also not down to the individual. This is down to the larger politics of things, which is that if you have a group of people who are being fundamentally ignored constantly, whose worries and whose troubles are being belittled or thrown to the side... Um, they are going to vote against you. And a large part, I think, of the Brexit vote was basically it was a vote against what they felt was the elite. Yeah, there were a lot of people who felt disenfranchised. I can completely understand that. Yeah. And if, you know, uh, the thing I suppose for me, if we're going to talk Brexit, is that the day after the referendum, the most Googled term was what is the European Union? Yeah which means that most of the people who voted had no idea what they were voting for. Yeah, exactly. And I have to say that sort of willful ignorance or that extended ignorance, um, yeah, is a bit of a bugbear for me. But then again, that you know, I think we should get off this subject of Brexit specifically because honestly, that was never a vote that should have been taken by people. That, that was what we employed the politicians to do. Yeah. Um, and, then, <laughs> and then the way that the information was given about how people should vote was unlawfully inaccurate um, and, yeah, very badly put forward. So people voted on false information. Um, it was just a it was it was a shit show, the entire thing. But anyway, the point that I was coming to was complicated relationships. Um, <laughs> and that, yes, you cannot just vilify one side because they don't agree with you. You can vilify someone for being a bad person. So you can vilify someone for saying, I don't, you know, you could have someone who says, I don't, I don't understand what being trans is about. Okay, fine. Um, I don't think you can vilify people. Or you shouldn't vilify people for what they say. I think you should vilify people for what they actually do. Yeah, yeah. So hang on, hang on. I was getting to that. Um, so if if you have someone who says, I don't understand what being trans is about, I don't get it. Fine. You can't, you can fundamentally disagree with that person. Um, you can't vilify them, I don't think. If that person turns around and says, um, trans people don't exist and I am going to promote a dangerous rhetoric which actually results in violence and lawful action being taken against trans people, then I think you can vilify them. Particularly if they continue to do this having been peacefully educated or having had resources made available to them um, in a way that they should be able to take into account and they have continued to push against that because they themselves don't don't want to do that. Yeah. I, I, I don't feel bad. Personally, I don't feel bad if someone has purposefully gone forward and is putting forward ideas or concepts which um, are which cause real life danger um, or, or both mental and physical to other people. I can understand why people might vilify them or why, why people might sort of turn around and say you're a bad person. Yeah, um, we've really gone off on a tangent, so I'm going to reel it right back to what yes. we are actually supposed to be talking about today. Yes, yeah. Um, um, 
so let's actually look at some types of relationships and complications. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we'll start with parent-child dynamics. Um, mm. This is really complicated because the person generally that you first learn value, how to value yourself from, is your mm. parent or parents. Yeah. So if your parents act in a way that shows that they don't value you, and it can, it doesn't have to be deliberate, it can be um, gently negligent, it can be sort of like, well, you know, being honest, you weren't planned, we never really wanted you. Mm-hmm. That's the sort of thing that can follow people through their entire lives and will affect every relationship they ever have with anyone else until they manage to fix that part of themselves. Yeah. So, I mean, that's not actually necessarily abusive, or it's very passively abusive if it is, mm-hmm. but it's the sort of thing where it's quite difficult and you know a child in that situation even an adult grown child in that situation can have a very difficult relationship with that parent yeah and again this the parent-child relationship is particularly interesting because it doesn't just end there the parent-child relationship is also an echo of the previous parent-child relationship yeah it certainly can be um and it could you know when i say an echo i don't necessarily mean that it's always going to be the same it's that a child will look at the way that their parents have raised them and that will be reflected in the way that they raise their own children so it might be that they look at the way their parents raised them and said i don't i want to do better than that or i want to be like that or the way that i was raised seems is the only way to be raised but there's going to be a correlation there um so it's it's an interesting dynamic because what happens whenever you have a parent is that they are also a child um again and when i don't mean i don't mean like physically a child i mean that they are they are the child of somebody else and so it's not just this single kind of two-way relationship it's a whole web which complicates things now this doesn't mean that a parent can dump their issues on their child um they have a responsibility when they have a child but you cannot eradicate the subconscious and you know deeply ingrained patterns which have developed from childhood which means that carry on well, I was going to say, which means that, for instance, you could have someone who, um, you know, came from a very militant background who, you know, has has retained some of that in the way that they raise their children. Yeah, see, the converse is, the converse is also true in the sense of, well, I hated that aspect of my childhood, mm-hmm. so I'm going to go in an opposite direction. And you can actually introduce an entirely new set of issues based off of trying to not repeat the old ones. Yeah. The fact of the matter is, is that there is never going to be any scenario where your parents are not going to cause you pain in some way. Because parents are not mind readers. In fact, there's never any scenario where a long-standing relationship is not going to cause some kind of pain or not going to involve some kind of conflict. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, there are parents who are absolutely toxic and probably shouldn't have had children. Yeah. 
definitely. And I'm not even going to say that they're in the minority because I'm not sure that they are. No. Um, most parents, I think, try to do the best they can mm-hmm. within the given confines of what they've, what emotional resources and what other resources they've got. Um, and let's be honest, there are children who, not children, children, but there are, there are offspring who mm-hmm. are basically little shits. <laughs> yes. And I don't mean in terms of if the five-year-old is having a tantrum in the very embarrassing way outside the supermarket. I mean in terms of no matter what you've done and, you know, this child has had all the opportunities that the other children in your family have had, etc., etc. And somehow they seem absolutely hell-bent on, you know, I don't know, feeding a heroin addict and robbing you blind, <laughs> you know, yeah. screw, screwing over their siblings kind of thing. So, you know, it, at some point when the child becomes a, an adult, then they're responsible for their own actions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, I kind of want to talk about My Hero Academia again. As I said, this is the thing that really sort of influenced me. Um, so I mentioned earlier on Endeavour. Um, and the fact that he was an abusive father. Essentially, without giving away too many spoilers, um, in this world, people have these superpowers. He has a fire superpower. Um, He wanted to be the number one hero, um, but he realised that he was never going to get there. Um, He just couldn't be strong enough against the guy who was the number one hero, who was just way, really, really, really powerful. So what he did was he said, I can never get there because if my flames get to a certain heat, it will start to kill me. So what I need to do is I need to marry someone who has the opposite power of me, which is um, an ice power. And together we will create a child who has both and therefore is going to be more powerful than me. So immediately, not a great way of doing it. Not a great way of approaching marriage. It was an arranged marriage and it was so that he could create the ultimate offspring. So that's that's not great to begin with. Um, he has several attempts. He has several children before he finally creates this, this child who has both powers um, in equal measure. At which point he separates this child, Shorto, from all of the others and basically trains him from an incredibly young age in, in a very abusive way. And in doing so, drives his wife crazy um, until his wife freaks out and accidentally burns her child's face and stuff like that. It's it's pretty nasty. It, there's lots of awful things going on, essentially. Um, now, what happened is that years later from this, um, Endeavour is now kind of... He's become the number one hero. Not in a way that he wanted, but he's become the number one hero. Spoilers. Um, and he... is now having to actually face why he wanted to be there um, and what he's actually done in the past. And he has this very shaky relationship developing with his children. And one thing that is really apparent to me is that his kids hate him because of what he did, but they still love him. And I really liked that. I liked that. I liked the fact that they worry about him when he almost dies. I like the fact that they, you know, they are trying to maybe give it a chance to be a family, etc. Because for me, it wasn't about excusing his abusive behaviour. It was actually about looking at a very real family dynamic, a complicated family dynamic, 
where essentially there wasn't necessarily any lack of love, but there was a lack of competence as a father because he didn't want to be a father. He wanted to be a trainer, as it were. Um, he doesn't know how to be a father and now he he's trying to be one. And I think that something that worked very well for me is the fact that when it comes to abusive families in that way, um, there are families who are like that, who still want to actually be a family in some respects, who want to try and fix things, who want to go forward, who have lived with abusive family members or and have very complicated relationships. And I think it's good to show that on screen uh, you know, without ever excusing it, without ever saying, and now everything is fine, because it isn't. And I guess that's the thing, isn't it? Because no one is completely good or completely bad. You might skew one way or the other, but mm. um, you can have a parent who is pretty much absentee and quite negligent and yet still has done some good things and left the child with some good memories. Mm. And you can have another parent who is... Um, you know, very present and, you know, always there, always has time for the child and yet has done some pretty shit things as well because their own issues have come through. So, yeah, yeah it, it is complicated. I think the other thing to remember with the child-parent dynamic is that the whole point is the child is trying to break away and become an independent person, whereas yeah. the parent generally is either forming a protective or even controlling influence. And both yeah. those states are natural and it isn't until the child eventually becomes adult enough to assert him or her or their self mm -hmm. that um, you can then start rebuilding the relationship as kind of equals, which is something that we all have to do with our parents to a certain extent. Yeah, absolutely. And this is the really interesting thing is that with any child-parent relationship... The con that conflict has to exist because if it doesn't exist something's gone wrong that means someone somewhere doesn't care yeah if it, if it doesn't exist <laughs> if a parent has not been protective if a parent has not you know if there's never a kind of a breakaway moment that means that even on a small scale you know it might you might have a parent who's somehow really timed it very well and they've kind of slowly slowly kind of inched it out so there's only a small breakaway um but if that breakaway doesn't exist at all it means that the parent yeah as you say has been negligent has has been absentee has not interacted with their child in a way that they should have done um and then there's the opposite, which is that if, if if it happens, you know, too forcefully, it's because the parent really, really, really won't let go. Um, and at that point, it's not about sheltering, it's about controlling um, and controlling the narrative. And basically, that's, again, not really, I would say, a parent-child relationship. That's a parent who is using their child for their own means they haven't raised child they've tried to basically raise themselves they are dealing yeah. with their own issues through their child it's an extension of themselves uh, i think a really good example of this is the the seven sets of child parent dynamics in stephen king's it and no matter what you think of the rest of the book or you know i'm again i'm not going to talk about the recent film <laughs> <laughs> i'm not happy with it um, there is one really, really excellent parent in it, and that is uh, Mike Hanlon's father, whose name escapes me, unfortunately. 
but you know mike is the he's he's pretty much the only black child in the entire small town because mm-hmm. at that point in time there wasn't an awful lot of diversity in the 50s in that part of america so everyone knew who he was by sight at least and you know obviously he, his mother and father are both black as well and they've managed to make a life and eke out a living on a farm there and mike ends up working with his his father quite hard but his father's also always got time for him and sends him off on adventures to go and discover things and find things around the town and it's just you know it's a really really healthy close relationship mm. whereas um of the six children that he eventually becomes friends with it's really noticeable that you have eddie kasprak and his mother basically is is forcing this munchausen via proxy syndrome on him where she's constantly telling him he's sick and asthmatic he needs to be careful and she's doing it because he almost died of polio when he was five yeah um you know this is around the time that there was that big polio epidemic and she has you know she's very much a case of well her husband died and she was left alone and so you know if she makes him think he's a little bit sick it's it's safer than him believing he's healthy and having an accident kind of thing yeah but it's incredibly abusive in the way she does it um you have beverly's father who knocks his daughter about he loves her but he knocks her about yeah because he feels powerless in his own life doesn't knock her mother about just beverly um and then you have Bill, uh, you know, I can't remember. Uh, God, what? the name's gone out of my head, sorry. I'm not doing well with names today. But <laughs> Bill, who's, who's kind of like the nominal leader of the group, his, um, his he, he lost his brother. The, the creature killed his brother. And mm. his brother was six at the time. And Bill's only sort of 11, going on 12. Yeah. And his parents just cannot come together over the grief of this lost child. Yeah. His missing child in the middle. And Bill cannot find a way of bringing them together either. So he just, he's become invisible in his own household because they cannot see the living child they've got for the one that died. Yeah. So, and you know, not all of these parents are actually deliberately abusive or deliberately getting things wrong. Some of them are just a case of, no, this awful thing has happened. And, you know, we cannot get over our own shit. So Ben's mother works really, really hard. But, you know, again, was left kind of on her own mm. um, when his father was killed in the war and she had no real qualifications or anything so Ben spends a lot of time on his own and his mother isn't aware that he's actually very lonely yeah so I mean he did a re- King did a really really good job of, of creating the parent-child dynamic in lots of different variations mm. yeah absolutely I think it's also worth remembering that different cultures have different kinds of dynamics and that these are considered normal um, for instance, there are certain cultures where smacking your child because they've been badly behaved um, is still is still the done thing. Well, that was the done thing when I was growing up. Yeah, exactly. But it's actually not that long ago. <laughs> it's not. It's no, no, no. It's not that long ago. But you know, certainly, I think in the UK, there's there's very much this. Um, you don't smack now. There, you, there was actually a big smack. campaign in, I think, in the early 90s about not smacking your child. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. But certainly when I was growing up, yeah, you did. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's a great... There's a comedian, Gad Almé, uh, uh, um, who... He's a French... He's a French-Moroccan comedian um, who has this whole joke, which is the whole kind of... You should never hit your child in anger 
Um, you should never hit your child in anger. And he makes, he's like, that's what they say. Never hit your child in anger. He says, oh, so what do you do? You wait till everybody's at the beach. Everyone's having a great time. <laughs> then just out of nowhere. <laughs> is that what you never hit? When else am I going to hit my child? He doesn't actually hit his child. He's <laughs> But he's, he was making fun of kind of the way that that was framed. But, you know, there are certain... There are certain cultures where you do, you still hit your child. And in fact, if you don't hit your child, it means that you don't love them. You yes, don't spare the rod, spoil the child kind of thing. Exactly. Um, and there's also other kind of relationship dynamics um, where particularly between a parent and a child. Um, and I'm going to mention this because this is something that happens in um, in fiction. And it's really important to remember that this is happening in fiction, not in reality. Um, which is that you will see a parent-child relationship where the parent isn't just the parent, or they, or they might not physically be the parent, they're actually the mentor. They're the mentor and they're teaching their child to fight. For whatever reason. So it's set in the past, it's set in something like that. And so they then actually start to hit them they start to sort of push them around they 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 are violent towards them um but within a controlled environment and one of the things i get really annoyed about is people saying oh it's such an abusive relationship and i said no it's a different dynamic um it's not necessarily a healthy dynamic by today's standards we can all definitely agree on that but we're not going by today's standards because they're preparing for a massive war and <laughs> his father is trying to teach their child not to die um so you do need to take context into account um and you can still recognize that it's not necessarily healthy um but it, context is important and context also for culture and upbringing and background is incredibly important when you are taking these kinds of relationships into account. Now, this doesn't mean that I'm saying, well, hey ho, it's okay if you're hitting your kids. I don't believe that. I, I genuinely don't believe that kids should be hit at all. <laughs> but again, it's the context within a fictional narrative. Yeah, and to be honest, you don't want the first time you get punched in the face to be during an uncontrolled fight where it's against someone who genuinely wants to hurt you. Yeah. <laughs> I would say this from like, 27 years worth of experience of martial arts. Um, anyway, moving on to siblings. Siblings are so complicated. <laughs> siblings are... It is complicated. I mean, there is the, there's that, for, for one thing, you're competing. Even if you're not competing for, you know, the same interests or the same abilities, uh, you know, you have one sibling who's very academic and one who's very sporty, if you like, mm -hmm. or one who just wants to stay home and read lots of books. Um, that, that may not be in direct competition, but you are still competing for what you perceive as the resources of the family. So your parents' attention, your parents' love, your parents' approval. And that is there. It's there whether it's stated, whether it's obvious, whether somebody is aware that that's what's going on or not. Yeah, absolutely. Which um, brings in envy, strangely enough. <laughs> the whole sort of like, oh, my older sister's the pretty one or my my younger sister is, is the baby of the family and everyone loves her kind of thing. Yeah. I think it's, it's really... It, this is good as well because 
Jules and I can say this from different perspectives because Jules um, obviously has sisters um, and you're the oldest sibling (laughs) (laughs) and I have a brother and I am the youngest sibling (laughs) so we have very different perspectives (laughs) but also the same perspective as it were um, on what it's like growing up with with either or yeah definitely um my closest in age to me sister is only 13 months younger than me and once we got to about sort of seven and eight we fought all the time as in all the time and yes some of that was the the natural competing for our own niche within the family some of it was the fact that i was perfectly happy on my own i would Mm. have spent the majority of my time on my own entertaining myself and requiring very little from anybody else um or you know doing playing the sort of games that perhaps she wouldn't have been interested in i had a lot of i played with the boys a lot Mm -hmm. um i permanently scuffed knees (laughs) i was always uh fighting and climbing trees and playing football and doing all the that sort of stuff i got called tomboy a lot um the sort she wanted my company i think was the thing Mm. And I wasn't interested in a lot of things that she wanted to do. So that was already an issue. And then there's the whole sort of like, well, Jules got there first and she's done it before and she's good at school and I don't really like school kind of thing. So there was that aspect. And then you add on top of that the fact that we were completely different people. You know, the things that we were good at were in completely opposite directions. She saw the world in a way that I really didn't. Mm. And... We annoyed the hell out of each other. We really, really annoyed the hell out of each other. I think maybe it might have been easier if there'd been a sort of three or four year age gap instead yeah. of like, you know, just over a year. But um, and all of that, even the time when we were literally like fisticuff properly fighting each other because we we'd gone past the name calling the hair pulling stage <laughs> into genuinely trying to <laughs> smack each other. Um all of that was actually normal i i mean i i mean i think people hate to hear this and parents hate to hear that siblings fighting like this is normal but it it is normal there there wasn't one person who was getting bullied here this was a genuine kind of like (laughs) no we're in each other's space and there's nowhere else for one of us to go kind of thing yeah absolutely and i think it is particularly difficult if you are both the same gender because there's natural comparisons yeah, I mean, maybe. I'm, I have a new basis for comparison there. Uh, but yeah, you might well be right. I know when I was little, um, I was... My brother was a beautiful child, as in perfectly well-behaved, inquisitive, but polite, like literal angel child. In fact, he was so well-behaved that my mother was, <laughs> my mother's like, I don't know what all these parents are complaining about. Having a baby is easy. He just sleeps through the night. He hardly ever cries. He, he was literal personification of an angel. She was like, this is easy. So I was sent as punishment for her hubris. Um, I was a demon child. Like my mother had thought, maybe I'll have three kids. And then just one particularly bad night, she turned to my dad. She's like, let's get rid of the baby things. We're, we're, we're never having children again. <laughs> I was I was awful. Um, I was very angry as a baby. Um, I was sick as well, which didn't help. But I was also... So I was in pain and then I was angry. And one time, basically, I think it was... I think it was a doctor 
was sort of called in to sort of see what, what's wrong with this this screamy child who never sleeps. And he was watching my brother and I interact and my brother was running around and I was sitting there getting visibly frustrated. And he said, what's happening is that she thinks she's the same age as him. She thinks she's the same age as him and she's trying to do everything that he does. She's mimicking him. But she can't do it because she's two years younger than him. So she can't run around in the same way that he can. She can't talk in the same way that he can. She can't, she doesn't have the same dexterity because he's two years older than her. So um, yeah, I was constantly mimicking my brother. Um, I was, I just constantly wanted to be where he was. I thought like the, the sun shone from him. He was the best, the most amazing. And then part of, as I got older, part of that kind of that sense of he's amazing was now I've got to surpass him. I need to be as amazing as he is. In fact, I need to be better, which was very difficult because scholastically he was incredibly bright. My brother is just one of these people who just very, very smart. Whereas I really struggled. Um, I, I really, really struggled in school because obviously I was dyslexic and that took a while to kind of be put forward. So um, my parents were never comparing us. My parents never compared us, um, but I did. It was all it was all on me. I wanted to do as well as he did. I was so proud whenever he achieved anything and I wanted to be just as good, if not better than him. And that was all on me. That was entirely just me deciding that I needed to be better than my brother. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we got on quite well, but then we also bashed heads a lot um, because that's what happens when you have, you know, two siblings who are constantly with each other at all times. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of makes sense when you think about the fact that you might have two people with completely contrary natures. Imagine forcing them to live in close proximity, not not just for a little while, but for years, years of like intense developmental stages. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> something my brother, my, my father used to say was he said, you two are best friends. And we looked at each other like, no, we're not. <laughs> so what are you talking about? We're no, not no. best friends. He's like, yes, you are. You're, sibling, you're best friends within the family. And it's true that like, my brother and I ha are still very close um, because also uh, the circumstances of, of where we grew up, he was my literal only constant companion because we moved around so much. So there was a sense of assurance in the way that he was there, but it wasn't necessarily always an easy relationship. I was a bit of a bully to him because at one point he was kind of easy to push over and he was so good and innocent that I would trick him a lot. <laughs> with stuff like and I was not a nice person like one of the it would be one of the key things where he would be like playing on the slide and then I'd come over and be like mum says it's time to go home and he'd be like okay and so off he'd go and he'd go and find mum and I'd take the spot that he was in and then he would go and find mum mum's like no no we're not leaving for another half an hour and he's like oh, betrayed <laughs> j'accuse <laughs> so yeah, yeah I I I was actually a bit of a terror for him. Um, he, he was this, this lovely child and I was just this screaming demon that came into his life and ruined everything, and <laughs> broke everything. Um, but so, I, never had, yeah. um, I never had difficulties with my much younger sister because there was eight years difference. So it was almost like an auxiliary parent. Yeah. 
So again, a completely different dynamic. Yeah. In some ways, the larger age gap can help because then you're approaching them with a with a greater sense of maturity. Um, and in other cases, it can actually create this great sense of distance, I think. Yeah, it can be really, really difficult. I mean, I know Alan's um, sister is at least 15 years older than him, I think. Mm. And, he, you know, his brother's a good sort of 12 years older than him. And those are his, his nearest siblings. He has other brothers as well that you know we never see kind of thing. So... Um, yeah, it can be really, really difficult. It can be a case of, well, I've been the only child for 12 years and suddenly there's another baby on the scene and it does not go down very well at all. Yeah, kind of but it, it's also then, you know, as a younger sibling, you only have this vague awareness of an older sibling because by the time you're kind of really sort of start to be conscious, they're off, they're at university, they're doing, you know, they're adults. Yeah. So you don't get that kind of the same sort of, relationship at all whereas again my brother and I because we were only two years apart um we had the opportunity to both like the same things to play the same games to you know to hang out with one another um which meant that as adults we we do get on yeah I mean I in fairness to my sister I get on with her really well now we we both we, I, w- I would say we both still want completely different things out of life. We're both interested in completely different things most of the time. Yeah, but we do get on really well. Um, same with my younger sister. Although again, I never really had the same sort of conflict with her. Yeah. Um, the one thing I will say is Sarah and I could be in the middle of the most bitter sort of like ride or die type battle mm. with each other. And then the minute someone else came in on one side or the other, we would join ranks against that person. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because, no, 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 this, this is, is between my us. Sister. <laughs> this is my sister. You do not mess with my sister. But, yeah. but, but you were just arguing with her. I don't care. You've made the mistake. You have woken the demon. <laughs> the yeah, absolutely. Um, I also think that it's it's worth remembering that an abusive relationship with children is different from like a parental abusive relationship so for instance you can have two kids and one of them is a bully to another Um, that's not good that's absolutely not good but they're both children and you could definitely have a set of siblings where maybe an older sibling actually bullies their younger sibling pushes them around um, but they could still love them They could absolutely still love them. They could still risk things for them. And as they get older, they might repair that relationship. Again, I'm not saying it's good, but I'm saying that it's complicated. And people... There are some people who might have had a bad sibling relationship and have decided not to forgive their, their, their brother, their sister, their sibling in general. They might have said, no, this is, you're a toxic person and I don't want to be with you. And I completely understand that. But I also think there are some people who've turned around and said, we're both adults now and I have decided to forgive you. Or we're just, we're both older now and I have decided to forgive you. And one isn't isn't more correct than the other. It's all about the individual thing. And it's all about, again, how complicated relationships can be. And you can't say to someone, oh, you're just giving in because they've decided to forgive their sibling particularly if yeah. their sibling is actually has actually made changes i mean i will say that when you're talking about between siblings the chances mm. are that it's probably six of one half a dozen of another 
Yeah. It's just one person was in a position of slightly more strength. Yeah. But the the little the younger sibling usually um, has also, you know, been able to enact <laughs> certain things that were considered unforgivable by the older sibling as well. So you know, it's a it's a bit tricky. But if in a case of genuine bullying, then the adults, the guardian, should actually be intervening. Yeah, absolutely. One hundred percent. This is not a case of yeah, we'll leave the children to sort it out. That's no, that needs to be that someone needs to intervene on that. Yeah, I think that is the particular thing, is that it is down to adults to step in when that kind of toxic in, toxic sort of relationship is forming in children. Because, again, patterns of behaviour develop. But children's brains, they don't stop developing until, you know, your brain doesn't stop really kind of changing and fixing and sort of forming itself until you're about, like, 25 properly, does it? Yeah, when you finally, your frontal lobes stop developing. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> you know that the, there is a ch- there is still absolutely a chance for change. It is it is an adult's responsibility to step in the way there. And if a child is being a bully, more often than not, again, I'm not saying that it's okay for a child to be a bully, but more often than not, that's an adult's responsibility to sort that out. Um, yeah. There is there's a failing in some respects in the way that adults are reacting, and the child isn't necessarily an evil person. They could be a massive dick at the time, but that doesn't mean they're a lost cause. Yeah, um, there are probably a few exceptions to the rule, but generally I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah, um, let's look at friendships. Well, actually, I just wanted to say one example of the sibling one because they're sort of siblings, is actually Harry Potter. Yeah. Dudley and Harry. Dudley, growing up, was Harry's tormentor because he was mimicking the behaviour of his parents. And in the end, he steps away from that as he becomes more aware. And as he actually steps away from his the own abuse that he was sort of going through, the way that his parents were treating him, he steps away and he matures and he kind of makes his peace with Harry. It's tenuous, they're not still, they're not the best of friends or anything like that, but they make a certain peace because they've also had same sort of traumatic and lived experiences together. Yeah, definitely. Okay, friendships. <laughs> friendships. Um, this is a tricky one because you can have abusive friendships. Yeah. Uh, or you can have friendships that start off perfectly balanced and then eventually become abusive or come back from that yeah um you know there's a lot of natural pushes and pulls in friendships when you when you form a close friendship with someone you are choosing someone for your extended family ultimately yeah and um that that choice that you make will give someone a certain amount of power over you and very few people can just go okay you're treating me really badly i'm cutting you out of my life it's very difficult to do that I can think of a couple of instances with one of my sisters where I'm like, this person is treating you, this person is genuinely treating you badly. And it's a case of, well, yeah, but, you know, they'll they'll come back around. We've been friends since primary school kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, but they've consistently, every time I've seen you in this sort of setting, they've treated you badly. They've been rude to you in public. They've been abusive to you in public kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it it is really really difficult. And again, there is a sort of envy aspect as well, where you know perhaps you have one friend who went on and got married and had children very very young, and 
envies the freedom of the other friend who perhaps decided to put those things off until a bit later and pursued a career instead or vice versa yeah or if you happen to be you know two two friends who are working within the same circle and one has great success and you haven't um envy can start to pull there yeah, i think it's, it's that... i think it's natural to have a little bit of envy um i don't think it's natural to let it rule the relationship no absolutely not um and another aspect is you might <laughs> you might have a, you know two friends for example and one has a slightly more forceful personality and without necessarily meaning to they inadvertently overshadow or even depolarize the other person and i have to say this is something that i've experienced as in for a very long time i didn't realize that's what i was doing and i wasn't doing it deliberately it was just a case of i was very certain in my ideas and my opinions and i was willing to listen but i expected people to be as direct and as forceful as i was not realizing that perhaps i was actually scaring the shit out of people a bit (laughs) yeah and i think this is the other thing is that every single person will at some point have engaged in in poor behavior with with a friend um, it might be subtle manipulations, which we actually learn from a young age. Uh, for example, um, you know, minor form, you know, manipulation of sort of as simple as saying, I'm so sorry, I'm a terrible person, please forgive me. And sometimes that sort of comes naturally in that when you're apologizing, you're not actually trying to manipulate someone, you're actually trying to say, oh God, I feel so terrible, I've been a terrible person. Um, but that's not a that's not a good apology, um, and that's kind of something you learn as you get older. But those kinds of dynamics are still going to cause problems. And as I said, you can look back on any kind of friendship and you can see where you have done something wrong, where you've been manipulative or even again unconsciously. But everybody's done it because relationships and friendships are complicated. We've also all said things that are cruel and mean or we've thought them or we've done certain actions or we've betrayed trusts or things like that again that's sort of part of growing up yeah and i can honestly say that it's something i still feel a bit impatient with excessive timidity because again that's not something i've got a real basis for comparison for so when people act very timid towards me i do feel exasperated i think because i don't believe i'm acting in a way that's particularly threatening Mm. but obviously from someone else's point of view if it's someone who is say very very anxious or feels they don't know me very well or just finds me a bit intimidating um see honestly i find it quite bizarre that i i quite often get told that i'm intimidating so i don't think i'm intimidating at all so it's really a bit of a head fuck when when someone says that it's like oh well i've I've been so quiet because you're kind of a i don't necessarily think i'm a very forceful person but apparently i am (laughs) so there you go so yeah it, it, it is being able to shift your perspective to try and take in the fact that not everybody had the advantages of of um the way that you were raised the way that you were encouraged or you know even certain inclinations of your own nature yeah it's when i'm snickering away you are are so intimidating um but (laughs) (laughs) you have like an aura um but, (laughs) but um yeah when i was very young um 
I had a group of friends uh, in one of the places that I lived where we were very physical with one another. I was definitely one of the kind of the, the, the boys, as it were. And that meant kind of punching one another. That meant slaps and pushes and things like that. This was not something that had occurred to me as being abusive. This is just something that we all did and that we were all kind of happy to do. Um, and that was just a behaviour that I wasn't ever ruled out because no one stopped us because we all we were all just happily doing it. We never meant any harm. It was just, you know, we were, we were fighting, we were play fighting. Sometimes it got a bit more serious, but, you know, uh, that was just something that we were doing out of the eyes of, of adults and parents and stuff like that. Um, and then when I moved schools, I had a friend... And the other thing was that I was watching certain like TVs, TV series at the time where you'd always have one character who'd make a joke or something and then the other person would just give them a little slap up the head, you know, to yeah. get them to shut up. Like, so this, these were my influences, was that I was seeing that on TV as seeing that's a normal, healthy dynamic between friends. And the fact that that had been my lived reality when I was actually among friends. So I did that with with one of my other friends and found later on that they were sort of growing apart from me and then they said I'm kind of scared of you you keep hitting me and I was like oh oh my god I, it had never occurred to me that I was being physically abusive to them that I was that I was again I, I should point out I was a I was a child this is pre-teens this is this is when I'm Little, little Madeleine. Also, um, I think you've got to be careful with the word abuse because I would not call that abuse. That's a case yeah, of okay. genuinely not understanding yeah. an interaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so abuse yeah, abuse implies intent. Yeah, no, it wasn't. It I wasn't trying to actually hurt them, and I didn't actually understand what I was doing. I was like, "Why am I hitting them?" Um, because for me, it was just playful. It was it was literally just meant to be a playful thing. It was meant to be a laugh thing. I didn't actually understand that I was hurting them, um, and it had a profound effect on on the friendship because I can totally understand someone turning around saying, "I don't really want to spend time with you because you are hurting me." Um, fortunately, you know that was something that got over that I got over, and I started. That was actually one of the reasons I started doing martial arts was I was suddenly terrified of hurting other people. Um, but still kind of wanting to be quite physical because that was how I had grown up. That was the dynamic that I knew and I didn't know how to control it. So um, so I started martial arts, which obviously was very beneficial for me. Conversely, for me, uh, as well as being the sort of apparently the, the, the mouthy one, shall we say, <laughs> the mouthy one who's like, yeah, we're going to do this today, we're going to do that, whatever. Um, I'm also a complete Labrador with friendships in the sense of I'm just happy to be out <laughs> kind of thing. I don't necessarily make friends very easily and when I do I'm I'm completely ride or die. So yeah. it's quite easy for someone to take advantage of me. This is this is not me suggesting that people out there please befriend me and then take advantage of me because I'm not <laughs> up for that. But I'm just saying I'm aware about this, about myself. And you know that it has mean that at, meant at times that I have had to turn around and say no, I, I, I've, I'm hip to your game now. I know what you're doing and I don't want to have anything to do with you, which is a horrible thing to have to do. But at the same time, it, you have to 
look after yourself as well yeah um so See, and I always feel stupid. Every time it happens, I'm kind of like, yeah, damn it, this is this is exactly the same as that time 10 years ago, that time when I was a teenager, etc., etc. Yeah. Um, I've never had the whole sort of, like, really devastating breakup with somebody where it completely poleaxes you, but I've had a, a devastating sort of um, end of friendship type thing. Mm. And it's just kind of, yeah, I'm so stupid I fall for it every time. Yeah. Type type feeling the friendship friendship breakups are the worst yeah they yeah, they easily. they're really the worst i have i have a friend who i'd known for a large portion of my life and we went through a really rocky stage at school because of a number of different things that i'm not going to get into and one of the things i treasure most is that we are friends again and that we've kind of talked about the things that have happened in the past where both of us kind of went wrong where what the issue was and we've acknowledged it and stuff like that and and we both we we were both on sort of different paths at the time and there was a lack of communication a lack of understanding we were children etc we understood um and we've forgiven and i'm super super glad for that um but yeah it, for me it was a revelation when i got to about 21 my partner turned around and said you know you don't have to be loyal to people who haven't been loyal to you you yeah, don't have to put up with things just because because there was this idea of the sacredness of friendship which is the kind of like if we're friends i kind of have to put up with whatever they put me through and he's saying no it's okay to not spend time with people who don't make you happy and not to give up everything and not expect anything in return you that's yeah. okay it's not selfish and it is an absolute revelation when you get to that point and it's a case of you know what, I don't like drama. This person comes with a lot of drama and they actually roll into the drama. I think they like drama. Maybe we're not compatible as friends. Yeah. Yeah. But it, so talking about it in terms of fiction, um, again, uh, this is actually something I'm going to bring up because it happens a lot in anime. And I'm sorry I'm talking about so much about anime, but I guess it's just because of the way that dynamics work in anime. And as I said, I'm gonna start with My Hero Academia, but you can also see this in things like Naruto and Hell, even in Fairy Tale or things like that, where they often have the protagonist is best friends, or say they're best friends with someone who is actually kind of a dick. Like someone who isn't very good. My Hero Academia is a great example because you have the main character of uh, Midoriya Izuku, um, whose best friend is a guy named Bakugo Katsuki. Now, Bakugo is Midoriya's childhood bully. And I mean, he is 100% a bully. He is not kind. It is with intent. Um, he beats Midoriya up. He destroys Midoriya's things. At one point, he, he flat out tells Midoriya to kill himself. This is not a good person. Okay, 100% not a good person. Despite this, Midoriya maintains a kind of relationship with Bakugo, who he calls Kachan. Kachan, and, and this is a really good indication, is because he calls him Kachan, which is something which comes from when they were children. When they were about four years old, um, Midoriya called uh, Bakugo Kachan, um, which is like an infantized, you know, cute sort of name. And um, Kachan would call Midoriya Deku, which actually means useless, but was actually a pun on his name, the way that it's it's spelled in Japanese. I'm not going to go into it. 
Um, and they still call one another that growing up. And what's happened is that over time, their relationship has progressed where it, it, they've created this rivalry. Um, Bakugo had essentially built up his whole kind of sense of identity and worth um, in comparison to Midoriya, where Midoriya was. Um, and then has this total breakdown when Midoriya starts to surpass him because it completely breaks down his reality. The fact of the matter is, is the way that Bakugo was raised has is is the thing which has allowed this to happen the society which has allowed him to kind of become who he is he doesn't seem to have that great of a family dynamic again i'm not going to go into it that his mother is weirdly shouty all the time and hits him and stuff like that but apparently it's a loving relationship i don't know um and they they have this kind of this this friendship where Bakugo is now starting to sort of reevaluate himself and reevaluate his relationship with other people but i really like the dynamic they have a lot of people really dislike it they feel like um it shouldn't be allowed to happen that 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 Bakugo should be put to the side that he shouldn't be on the course that he shouldn't be allowed to have this redemption or that that Midoriya shouldn't still call him Kachan um, that Midoriya shouldn't still have these kinds of these friendly feelings toward him. And for me, that entirely misses the point, which is that they call each other these childhood names because beneath it all, they recognise that there is a bond there that is more like siblings. This does not excuse Bakugo's behaviour in the least, and Midoriya doesn't excuse Bakugo's behaviour in the least. But there is, regardless, something intrinsic which is beneath all of that, a kind of a reliability that the other is always going to be there in some respects. And I like that. I like it very much because it makes sense to me. It makes more sense to me than the relationship between Naruto and Sasuke, for instance, where you don't necessarily have that same childhood kind of dependence where they grew up together. Um, and it is a complicated relationship, and I like seeing that on screen. Again, doesn't mean that I necessarily like Bakugo that much at all, but I like the way that it's being portrayed. Yeah. Um, my last point on the friendship thing is this idea that if you don't have all the girls in a book being friends with each other, then that book is portraying girl-on-girl hatred, because that <laughs> is patently ridiculous. Um, there is no law written anywhere which says that all girls have to be friends with each other because sometimes the person you get you don't get on with is going to be another girl and it's not to say that girl on girl hate isn't a thing because yes it absolutely can be but a lot of the time what people are calling girl on girl hate actually is just a case of either two people both being dicks one person being a dick because they're a bit insecure um or people who just genuinely don't get on it's the actual girl on girl hate thing is, is actually quite rare so yeah i mean most of my friends when i was growing up were boys right up until i you know even going to a convent school i would have said that the friends i was closest to were actually the boys i played with outside of school mm. um so forming genuine female friendships was kind of a bit of a revelation but you know it's it's kind of what you have access to, isn't it? Because a lot of the kids who lived around us were male, so I made friends with them, kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah. 
friendships are complicated and people are complicated and to being the same gender is not usually link enough to create friendship there's got to be other things that are part like, of it as well it's like oh yeah this entire sci-fi convention there are two female authors we'll put them at the same table because they have so much in common because they're both female kind of thing though i do feel like in that sense if i was if i was at a sci-fi convention and um it was all males i might actually quite like having another woman or or another person who's with, within a minority what i don't like is when it's like um well you've got to be friends it, it's it's like the idea is like oh you're a lesbian they're a lesbian you should be a couple like no okay. that that's 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 the that's the lowest common denominator <laughs> yes it is okay i'm gonna give you an, an adult example and then we'll go on to having a quick look at romantic relationships but yeah basically there's um you know, Alan is friends with someone he met through work, etc. And occasionally he likes, you know, for us all to kind of get together. Obviously not since way, way before lockdown. <laughs> yeah. Um, and his, Alan's friend's wife is very nice. And, you know, very, you know, a really nice, engaging person. But I have to say, she and I do not have a lot in common. And when everybody's talking, I want to be talking with Alan and his friend because they're talking about sci-fi and fantasy and Star Trek and the stuff I'm interested in. Whereas I have very, very little to offer this very, very lovely person who nevertheless, yeah. she and I sort of look at each other in this case of, I know, in, in a sort of, we know we're supposed to entertain each other now, but we don't have anything in common to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and despite what people might think, uh, just talking about what it is to be a woman is not something that we... <laughs> It's like I can canvas that quite thoroughly in 10 minutes. I don't really need a really long drawn out conversation with everyone I ever meet kind of thing. Exactly. Um, so yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I suppose in a way it's kind of like, you know, parents take their children along and they're kind of like, oh, I have a child, you have a child. They're both roughly the same age. We'll shove them in the sandpit together. They'll get on fine. Uh, it's like those two children are distinct individuals who may not like each other at all. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's also the play date thing, which is the, it's just like, well, I get along, so you two should get along with you know we get along, so you two should get along. It's like we we have nothing in common. We we we're only friends because because you make us hang out so much, but we we don't actually have anything in common. And, and it's also he bites, mum. It's like, what are you talking about? Of course he doesn't bite. Yeah, he does. He bites all the time. There, there's something really wrong with him. <laughs> I feel like you're drawing from life experience here, Jewel. <laughs> maybe a little, maybe a little. Um, anyway, quick look at romantic um, complications. Yes. Okay, so first of all, equality issues. Um, regardless of what kind of relationship you have, there is always going to be a bit of a power play. Yeah, part of making a romantic relationship work is allowing the you know the gentle flow of power between two people rather than one person taking charge all the time yeah um and you know there'll be things that one person cares about more than the other as yes. well and it's learning when to bend and, and when to say oh, no kind of thing so yeah, yeah it, it is it is really difficult and the, the whole thing of trying to make it work is being able to negotiate between those two states it's something that's why 
you have teen relationships and it is quite unusual for a teen relationship to then progress into their 20s and then on into the rest of their lives yeah because you you literally become different people (laughs) yeah no absolutely i mean it does happen sometimes um but you know it's it's also the kind of the dynamic where you know you can say oh they have a very equal kind of dynamic but the the the, the point is that when it comes to sort of the power, first of all, it's going to be in different aspects. You might want someone who's going to take charge of certain things because you yourself don't want to be taking charge of them. Or there might be times where you need someone to take charge of certain things. Um, but the But the idea of then kind of being in a relationship where someone is always 100% in charge of everything and you are never, even if you want to be, um, that's not great. It should be basically about where people are comfortable. You might very much have someone who says, actually, I don't want to be responsible for these kinds of things. I do want to be told what to do or how to do certain things. There might be someone like that. And if that's what you're both happy with and it's consensual and it's happy, um, fine. But, you know, I know that if I'm having a sick day, I don't want to be in charge of anything. I don't <laughs> All power gone. I don't... I could take responsibility for a bunch of things, but I don't want to. So I really, really need my partner to kind of actually be the one who says, okay, go to bed, eat some soup, um, just stay where you are. Um, and then it might also be that I can suddenly go, oh, this is something I'm good at. Let, let's let's do the travelling thing. You know, we're not coming to any decision, therefore I'm going to take the power. It's like a set of rabbits. Did you know that rabbits sit on each other's heads sometimes? And the other rabbit actually gets kind of happy about this, because when one rabbit sits on the other, it basically says, I'm in charge and you follow me. And the other rabbit goes, oh, okay. And it's not always the same yep. rabbit. Yep. <laughs> We're just we're just basically like more complicated rabbits. <laughs> um, obviously, the other thing with a romantic relationship is both parties will bring a certain amount of baggage to the relationship. Yes, inevitably. Even, even if you think you're not, even if you've come from a really, really happy, well-adjusted home life, at some point along the way, you will have collected some baggage or you've, you've really not been paying attention in your life. You've just sort of skipped through. <laughs> And nothing has made an impression on you. In which case, I think I would say you have a completely different set of issues to work (laughs) on. A completely different set of issues. Uh, (laughs) Yes. yes. You will bring, you you know, you will bring your relationship issues with your own parents to it. Your relationship issues with your siblings. Your relationship issues from your previous relationships. (laughs) Yes. And there's also, like, even deeper things as well, which is identity working out who you are particularly if you sort of start a relationship when you're still kind of young like i was 19 when i met my partner um and there were still things about me that i hadn't even realized that i needed to be figuring out so that was going to come into it as well (laughs) inevitably um so there are you know there are going to be deeper things and because of those deeper things it means that you're not always going to 100% understand what the other person is thinking or wants or needs and you can just have clashes over the dumbest things yeah absolutely um i i don't like this thing in fiction lately where either the the pair are kind of like with one mind all the time or, you know, the, the male character will give the female character whatever she wants all the time as long as she's basically ruled by him in other aspects. 
Um, I feel like you're talking about something very specific. <laughs> well, a specific trope that's turned up in a lot of places. Um, I don't like this idea that, you know what, that you wouldn't occasionally have arguments or actually maybe you, you do trundle along together really, really happily because you're both really on the same page 99% of the time. And then you, you hit a snag, you hit a bump in the tracks. And because you are on the same page 99% of the time, it's devastating, even if it's just over something like who unloads the dishwasher. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you just have that one time where you catch each other wrong and it's so much worse because, you know, it feels like the world's ending because you don't argue. Um, let's also be honest, some people learn to interact with other people through arguing. They came from an argumentative household. They mm. argued with their parents, their siblings. They show their affection by shouting at each other. When you put someone who has not come from that life with someone who does shout, mm -hmm. yeah, it doesn't go well because one person's kind of like, what the hell is this? And the other person's kind of like, I'm yelling at you, but it's because I love you kind of thing. Or at least that's what they're, they're really saying. It's not necessarily abusive. It's just kind of like that that's two people who have not learned the same set of social interactions. No. It'll, so just to give a small example, very personally, um, I come from a family of debaters. Like debating is something that we did from a very, very young age. Like dad was like, right, let's sit down, kids. Let's talk about evolution <laughs> kind of thing at a young age. Um, and, you know, we would have these big debates and it's something that continues on um, to, to quite, I say almost an extreme where everyone else is sat at the table like, oh God. And it particularly happens between my father and my brother. But I was definitely involved in that. And part of kind of the debating technique and particularly the argument techniques that I'd have with my brother was that we could be quite aggressive with one another and you would start to seriously nitpick small things. I'm not going as far as, you know, nitpicking grammar kind of thing, but nitpicking kind of little bits and bobs to kind of get into, wheedle your way into the argument. You know, these are all techniques you use in a debate. But we would be debating constantly. We would be arguing and we'd be using this debating technique. This is how I learnt to debate. This is how I learnt to kind of talk. So I bring this into my relationship and my partner's like, what the hell is this? <laughs> what the hell are you doing? And he's like, I'm not, I'm not, you know, your family, I'm not your brother. You don't need to, you don't need to be so aggressive. I'm not going to just shut you down immediately. We were talking about something else. And I'm like, oh, I didn't realise this wasn't universal. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Or you might not be on the, you might be quite happy to have really in-depth discussions like that, but your clocks are not aligned with each other. So for example, for some reason, Alan wakes up and goes straight into work mode. Let's discuss this. Let's discuss this very, very specific and quite contentious issue. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's me with my cup of tea listening to Edvard Grieg in my head, you know, sort of da 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 <laughs> Alan starts talking and it suddenly, chainsaws in your face! <laughs> And we, we, we laugh about this now, but I think a lot of our, oh God, we've got off on the wrong foot with each other today thing was just kind of like, I needed another half an hour of like, you know, reconnecting with the world before I got into that really incredibly contentious issue. Yeah. It's also funny because my partner and I, we both went through different stages with our work where what would happen is that he would be going to work and he would have to interact with a whole bunch of people and then he'd come home and I will have been at home alone for the entire day working from home. So he would come home and I'd be like, chatter, 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 let's catch up. And he's like, I don't want to hear another human voice for another hour. 
I just need to lie still in a quiet room and do nothing for a little bit. And so we'd be completely, you know, odd footed. And then and then it was the other way around where he was working from home and I will have been like teaching all day and I'll come in. He'd be like, chatter, 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 chatter. And I'm like, no, go away. I need to watch YouTube videos for an hour. I, I, need to, I need to lie in bed and not talk to anybody. <laughs> I, I get the whole sort of like, I've run out of nice for the day. Okay, that is my quota. My quota of nice is gone at the moment. <laughs> so, so yeah. Um, it's the, the romantic interests, uh, sort of romantic, rather interests, romantic relationships um, can be complicated because you're two individual people. You are not of one mind. Um, and here's another thing is that you are whenever, inevitably when you love somebody, inevitably when you're 100% close to somebody, especially when you live with somebody, um, there's going to be a low blow or two. There's going to be, I'm going to hit where it hurts kind of thing. Not even necessarily intentionally, but you're going to be a dick and, and it will hurt all the more because it's someone that you love. Yeah, definitely. Nobody is the good guy all the time. No one's the bad guy all the time, unless it is a genuinely abusive relationship. Yes, in um, which case, but, yeah. Which we're not really talking about. But, you know, just in a general sort of, why is it complicated? Well, it's complicated because this person has never really got over their relationship with their, their mother. This other yeah. person has never really got over their relationship with their ex-girlfriend. Yeah. Um and they're doing the best they can kind of thing but perhaps their behavior is avoidant or dismissive you know the, these are actual terms there's the four classifications of relationship and there's this clingy avoidant dismissive and generally they say healthy yeah. most of us are somewhere in the first three because most of us aren't that well adjusted <laughs> <laughs> and also your relationship how you interact with somebody um will depend on what who the relationship is with yeah. I, I did actually do the sort of the psych evaluation test on this and i got classified as an avoidant dismissive person <laughs> most <laughs> mostly avoidant in the, in the sense of being very self-contained and independent and not really needing somebody else so if i'm with somebody they need to be somebody who doesn't feel that they have to be needed yeah in that respect because that's not really how i work on the other hand if somebody sort of will meet me on my terms i move more into the healthy quadrant of the square mm. that makes sense yeah and this is also the really 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 important thing is that a healthy relationship between two people is going to be down to them and um there is you can have two couples who behave in a completely different way to one another and they can it can be two completely healthy relationships but very very different um it is very hard from the outside. And again, we're not talking about abusive relationships. That's a different kettle of fish, which we've already discussed. I'm talking about complicated relationship. It's very difficult from the outside to judge someone else's relationship and whether it's right or not. And it's also why you should never compare your relationship to other people's. Again, not talking about abusive relationships. And I think the difficulty is that people who are trapped in abusive relationships will often make excuses, will say, no, but this is just how we are. Um, yeah, which is it, why the whole thing is difficult, essentially. It, it can, particularly if it's an abusive um, romantic relationship as yes. well because 
you know you might have had children together you might have bought a house together there's all sorts of other sort of safety and security issues that sort of feed into it yeah and um yeah you know it can be it can be really difficult to see relationships quite often don't make sense to anybody who's on the outside but conversely from the inside you quite often can't see what everyone else can see from the outside so yeah exactly but the, the important thing is to, you shouldn't be comparing your relationship or the progression of your relationship with other people or the way that you react, the way that you act, the way that, you know, etc. It, it would be like seeing two people who, who aren't constantly holding hands or kissing or stuff like that don't really love each other because that happens to be the way that you and your partner show affection. Yeah, whereas you might be the, the couple who kind of like, yeah, that only really happens in private and we take the piss out of each other in public. But when we see a couple like that all over each other, we think they're compensating for something and behind closed doors, something terrible is going on kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So you, ju- you just don't know. Okay, don't. Um, all these relationships are further complicated by being in a group. So family, family dynamic in itself. <laughs> yeah, so this is the big one because as we've already established, any one relationship between two people is going to be hard. Add that to the fact that when you have a group of people there's also the added thing that two people together can make a different kind of relationship with a third person when they're together from when they're alone or stuff like that like you will have individual relationships between between your parents but when they're together as a unit that is also a different relationship (laughs) yeah so um i mean obviously we're linking most of this to writing so yeah probably got your writing goggles on right now but yeah yeah, ultimately, these are things to consider, as in so, so the way someone would reply to another character it, when it's just the two of them is completely different to how they might reply when there's an audience. Yeah, absolutely. When there's another, when there's another member of the family in the room kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, hell, even just the way that you talk in general. Yeah, but- yeah totally. <laughs> My brother was constantly poking fun at me because he's like, why do you talk so posh when we're, when we're with our grandparents? And I was just like, I've got to switch it up in my head because otherwise I'm going to just start swearing. You don't want me to start swearing. <laughs> yeah, I completely get that. <laughs> so, um, okay, we're going to do a very brief look at how we use these sort of complications in our own work to help drive the plot because that is what all these things do they're Mm. all conflicts so they help drive subplot and character arc and character development first of all um it's really important to insert these kind of relationships and to really consider the very personal relationships between characters um whenever you're writing because if everything is just too perfect with everybody um it's no longer engaging um it's no longer believable and you kind of lose a whole level of a character because a big part of who we are is based also on the relationships that we have and how they have affected us and how we act in certain situations so it's not just about building up like a, a a larger dynamic among a group of people it's actually also about building up your singular titular character as well yeah definitely so um i mean i think like 90 percent of our work as a body is about character interaction because those are the sort of books we both write but yes 
how I'm just trying to think. I I kind of like the sibling relationships as I portrayed them in the Unveiled series, and then later on exploring good friendships and bad friendships as well. Yeah, absolutely. I I actually I was really thinking about Unveiled um, because particularly looking yeah i belong to the earth and then i am the silence you kind of portray these very complicated relationships between emmeline amy and grace in that grace you know loves her sisters um but has this kind of feels quite resentful particularly of emmeline um and it's kind of cruel to emmeline particularly in the first book because of because of how resentful she is um but they are still sisters and they make their peace and their relationship even going forward, even though they have made their peace in future books and stuff like that, um, it's still definitely different from the way that Grace reacts around Amy than the way that she reacts around Emmeline. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it is those, you know, those separate relationships you have with different sisters because they're different people, strange yeah. enough. Absolutely, um, yeah. And then when I wrote the short stories for Dead Roads, you get a bit of Grace's perspective and the fact that she actually feels intensely responsible for her younger siblings mm -hmm. the yeah. whole time. So that has coloured a lot of her perspective as well as, you know, sort of resentments that that happen later. Yeah, absolutely. And then one of the reasons that I really fell in love with Unveiled is that I enjoyed book one, but book two was what pulled me in 100% and that was a big part to do with the relationship between Beth and Emmeline. Beth is not a good friend. In fact, she's just plain villainous by the end really. Um, but you could understand the dynamic of them as friends and what was happening in that they were old friends. This was a group of people that this was two people who had been friends, but their friendship has been marred by jealousy and envy um, and want and greed, essentially, which yeah. has kind of taken over. Um, and this was got, what got me really, really into the story because I just wanted to throw myself in and be like, no, Emmeline, I'll be your friend. <laughs> you deserve better friends than this. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's a classic sort of, this is an old friend. This is someone who's been a very good friend in the past. Yeah. And you you keep gaslighting yourself and telling yourself that they are a good friend. Yeah, maybe they, they're a bit prickly now, but they've probably got reasons for that. Yeah. And, you know, they've always been competitive and you two being competitive against each other has made you both better. Yeah. And then you, you get a bit further in and it's kind of like, this might have been a good friendship once, but it isn't now. That doesn't mean it couldn't be again. And then you get yeah. to the final point. And it's kind of like, yeah, there are some things you don't really come back no, from. Yeah. <laughs> there, are, there are some bridges which burn and <laughs> you don't try and cross back over them. Um, which, yeah, I really liked that because it, it also showed, it was a big part of Emmeline's growth as well and her development because the first book is very much she kind of is rebuilding her relationship with her sisters and in the second book she's been really left on her own she's not with her sisters she she thinks she's been abandoned by Kieran um she has she's she's kind of in sort of this friendship where basically there's no escape because she's staying with her friend 
yeah. who's acting weird and she's trying to grapple hold because she also feels guilty she feels guilty because she feels like she abandoned her friend she stopped talking to her to beth um and now there's a chance that they can bring things back together again but th- things have changed they've both changed um and i guess it was also one of the reasons i really really liked the series going forward because then this is all part of of Emmeline's development as as a person with regards to her own identity um, which then kind of links in with the friends that she ultimately does make within this friendship group which is also fraught with you know it's not that they all just 100% get along with each other but oh hey we're all zany personalities but we all for some reason get on yeah no they they have difficulty with one another um, Steve is quite prickly with a lot of them to begin with because it takes him a long time to trust. Um, he also then falls in love with Kelsey. Kelsey is... He and Kelsey are not right for each other. That makes things awkward. Then there's Craig as well. Um, Serious and, you know, baggage doesn't really want to make friends again after what happened to his last friend group. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and a little bit of a chip on his shoulder as well. Um, when you know between him and Kelsey particularly because Kelsey reminds him of his past girlfriend and she's kind of pushing a little bit um, because she doesn't know these things and so you do have these kind of these interactions and uh, one of the the, Kelsey's choice which hasn't been finished yet um, that's not me pushing by the way Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, you do get this kind of this this explosion between Kelsey and the other friends where Kelsey kind of has her is dealing with her own baggage and this is the same with Craig as well so this is a group of people who all have their own for want of a better word shit um and are kind of are interacting and are getting to know one another and that isn't always easy and there's misunderstandings and they there are mistakes and occasionally they're all assholes um and i like that because ultimately it also means that because they make mistakes because they kind of misunderstand because they butt heads when they stay together regardless of it when they explain when they apologize not only do they grow as individuals they grow stronger as a unit it's more compelling um it's it's more meaningful yeah um thank you that's kind of what i was going for (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i i think i i felt like i was on something there because i started feeling like i liked hanging out with these people (laughs) if (laughs) that makes sense yeah um, and I, I feel like I can't talk about it too much because, again, it hasn't been published yet. Um, but you, you're kind of pulling that together with um, the early books from the Kestrel series as well. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I've got to say that generally this group of people, you would not put them together in a friend group <laughs> just on like a really shallow observance of their habits and likes and things. You'd just be kind of like, oh no, they're not going to be friends. Yeah. <laughs> and yet it works. <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's definitely one of those situations where it, there's a line there's a line at the end, and I don't know whether Jules liked it. I, I said I said it to my partner. He's like, "That's an awful. That's horrible." And I'm like, "Yet it still works." Um, in which Kestrel is trying is talking to Shailen, and she's like, a, oh, "Admit it, I'm growing on you." And Shailen responds like cancer. Yes. 
<laughs> which is essentially like their whole friendship is that that these two people would not necessarily get along in fact they don't really get along but they have one united like they both really like shakespeare first of all um and they they're, they're kind of united in the things that they have to face but shaylin is 100 percent dismissive of kestrel a lot of the time um she's just plain rude to be fair um, yeah. And then you have Kestrel with with the detective, uh, with Aaron, um, who he's very straight-laced, very much wants to do things by the rule book, very much kind of wants to actually make a difference and protect people. And Kestrel's a little bit like, <laughs> um, yeah, okay, we could get a warrant or we could just break in and save a lot of time because let's be honest... Um, we don't have time to get a warrant, and he's like, "No, th- look, th- these th- the rule book isn't just there, you know, for convenience. We, <laughs> it's <laughs> you, you, everybody needs to have the same rights." And she's like, "Do they though?" <laughs> he's like, and so there's a lot of clashing. Um, and it has been really fun to to write that dynamic as Kestrel also gets challenged because occasionally she is she's a bit of a bitch. Um, and so she does need people to turn around and be like, that's not okay. And there are consequences for what you do. Yeah, definitely. Um, something I've enjoyed with Harker and Blackthorn is obviously I had established characters and I took a couple of them for this series. And mm-hmm. obviously you get to see Amy as a grown up because yes. she's 14 and 14, nearly 15, 15, maybe in book four of Unveiled. Yeah. And so you you get to see her in her early 20s. And you've got Steve. Steve, who is now sort of about 27, 28. And yeah. he's less prickly than he was. He's learned to sort of mask that aspect of him a bit more. Mm. But he's not good at making friends at all. No, he's he's pretty bad at it. Um, but it is, it's a fantastic dynamic. You guys are going to love this series. <laughs> I, I am looking forward to releasing it. Possibly yeah. July, guys. Yeah. Anyone's interested. <laughs> <laughs> there will be a big hullabaloo when it comes out. Trust me, you just have to look at my account because I will be exploding. <laughs> um, right. Um, I think it's time for us to wrap up because we've overrun again. Yes. <laughs> Quite substantially. We've got to get better at this. <laughs> Maybe we should plan series. We should plan a series <laughs> of podcasts on a topic and well, go from there. <laughs> yes. We might just have to do that. Um, okay, before we go, it is time for our Dissecting Dragons recommendation of the week. And this week, I've got a recommendation for you. Um, I have been watching Invincible on Amazon Prime. It is really good. I've really, really been enjoying it. It's sort of like a cross between um, sort of like old Justice League and something a lot more gritty um the anyone who's it's it's not part of the marvel or dc franchise but there are kind of very recognizable sort of like archetypes which i think they're they're playing up on um it essentially follows the story of a guy named mark grayson whose father is an alien who basically has like Superman-esque powers and a sort of Superman-esque sort of background where he's come from an alien planet and he's arrived on Earth in order to kind of be Earth's guardian. Um, and there are other superheroes on Earth. And he um, 
and Mark is his son. And Mark has developed superpowers and is now going to also learn to be a superhero. Um, and this all, like, the first first episode, each episode is kind of actually two episodes in one. And the first episode, it's all sort of like, oh, wow, this is, like, coming into my power kind of episode. And then the second episode, it gets dark super <laughs> quick. Like, it's just like, oh, yay. And then, and then like, there's actually a significant amount of gore for an animated series. I mean, you see people actually getting killed. And I mean, like... It's 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 gross. So if you if you're squeamish, I do not recommend this series at all. If you don't mind seeing like a bit of brain and you know like <laughs> a bit of flushing a, a bit of brain, a little bit of brain, a little bit of a little bit of gore. Again, it is animated, so it's not live action. Um, then that's that's okay as well. But uh, certainly, I was like, ooh, okay, I, I can get behind this. And then the second episode, I was like, oh my god, what just happened? It's a complete change of pace. The humor is great. The art is really, really good. Great voice acting as well. Um, and every episode that I've watched, um, you know, I've been left guessing and questioning and putting forward theories. Highly recommended. But again, avoid it if you're squeamish. Um, yeah, definitely avoid it if you're squeamish. Um, it's not too bad, but it's bad enough. So that's my recommendation for the week. Okay, cool. Well, no, that sounds like it might be my sort of thing. I don't mind a bit of gore. Yeah, I think I think you will enjoy it. Um, <laughs> I, th I think anyone who's also kind of enjoyed the concept of Brightburn but never watched it will also enjoy this as well. Cool. Okay, so... Um, on that note guys we will say thanks very much for listening do get in touch with us what do you think about what we've talked about do you agree with us do you disagree with us can you think of any sort of complicated relationships that you've enjoyed or that you have felt haven't been handled right in fiction let us know remember you can get in contact with us via our facebook our tumblr or our twitter both individually or through the dissecting dragons pages and on that note, guys, we will say thanks very much for listening, stay safe, and we'll catch you guys next week. Yeah, thanks and goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast. You can follow our podcast at podbean.com or from iTunes. For more information, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash dissectingreaders. Or check out our author websites at jaironside.com and madelinevaughan.com. Please note that no dragons were harmed during the making of this podcast.